0: You're listening to Well, I Laughed, Part One of the Industrial Revolution and Its Consequences,
1: The Unabomber. Last summer, I bought a shirt from Banana Republic at that mall, and I know that this isn't the mall's fault, but I have never figured out how to properly take care <laughs> of that shirt. I got like three good wears out of it before I had to wash it, and since then, like I'm gonna bring a Banana Republic shirt to a dry cleaner and be like. Can you straighten this out for me, please? I'd like to fit in it again. (laughs) And Summer Grant is here. Like, I can. but all the fabric. And you can see it. It doesn't look good. Oh, no. I put it on once and I'm like, this is a dish towel. (laughs) Well, that's the podcast, folks. (laughs) Okay, goodbye. That's, that's That's a good amount of absolutely useless content. Information, yeah. The good news is we actually already have the objective out of the way. Because, well, we've both already laughed at this point. That's true. Um, Anyway,
0: welcome to our podcast, Well, I Laughed. Um, This is Grant. Actually, sorry. This is Summer Grant now. This is a new person. I don't know (laughs) if you've met him. Freshly shaved. Big house shirt.
1: Big house shirt.
0: Downton Abbey. Incoming. Oh, Um, oh,
1: absolutely. mm -hmm. Although, also recently, I've been feeling the inclination to watch bojack horseman so i don't I know that. what i'm balancing right now but uh we're gonna be kind of in a weird mood the next
0: few weeks <laughs> bojack horseman never puts anyone in a good place listen here's
1: the thing i watch it for princess caroline though but yeah. i also watched down abbey for edith and there's like three people in the world who get that reference and i hope they're listening <laughs> anyways that's my warner um and tonight's storyteller as we kick off a brand new theme, which we're super excited about. Which is
0: the Industrial Revolution and its consequences.
1: I want to be like, and its consequences.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can get it in post. We can and get The five-day work week, <laughs> exactly. 40 hours a week. So we're going to learn about the Industrial Revolution and its consequences. Mostly
0: the consequences.
1: And let me tell you, folks, when I was asking what the story is about, Maya, ride or die, was like, no spoilers. And I was like, is it... Pastor or present <laughs> and she didn't told me and then i forgot <laughs> so i'm gonna be once again very surprised by what i'm about to hear and i'm excited about it
0: yep so in structuring these notes i don't know when you're going to catch on mm. to what the story is because you have a lot more historical knowledge than i do at point oh any is that point.
1: my degree in history education if it's the Titanic, I'm pegging it in the first sentence, and we don't. It's know right not now. the Titanic. That's, it's classic head fake, but okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so I titled this story "A Short Fuse or a Really, Really Long Fuse?" Ooh. Question mark. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna set the scene for the first for the first little bit. The year is 1978. Okay. It is May 25th. Okay. Which is actually
1: tomorrow. Is it?
0: Yeah, today's the
1: 24th. Oh, that's good to Spoilers. know. <laughs> <Sweet>. Summer
0: grant. <laughs> Does not know what day like, it is. I'm pretty
1: sure it's Wednesday. If that <laughs> it is, is for anything. You did good. Good, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, the year is 1978. It is May 25th. We're on the campus of the University of Illinois at Chicago. Love it. Great. Um, a person comes across a package in a parking lot. They're... <gasps> Go ahead. <laughs> he begged it.
1: <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. Go ahead.
0: OK, um, he comes across a package in a parking lot. He notices it looks like a regular package. It has stamps on it. It has a return address and a send to address. The return address is um, the professor of material engineering at Northwestern University, which is about 40 minutes north of Chicago. Or, and we need to
1: say not in Chicago. I <laughs> do think Chicagoans care about that distinction.
0: Yeah, sorry. It's, it's
1: in Evanston. <laughs> near Chicago,
0: 40 minutes, I think, north of University of Illinois at Chicago. Um, the professor's name is Buckley Christ Jr., And the package is addressed to E.J. Smith, who is a professor at Renecellar Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. So if you're doing the math here, this guy is seeing this package and he's like, well, the return address is not that far. So I'm going to return it. Um,
1: I. Why? Already. (laughs) I'm. Listen, it's the 1970s, so I know it's a different generation. (laughs) Okay. Part of me is like, he didn't steal it. But part of me is like, worse, he's like involved himself, you know? I would steal it. That's my package now. We had a conversation a couple months ago about whether or not I was the asshole for opening my door, being like, (laughs) no thank you, and then closing the door. Yeah. Could not imagine being like, I will deliver this package. Package. (laughs) Best case scenario, I'm putting it in like a blue UPS mailbox. If it's right in front of me.
0: Exactly, Otherwise, yeah.
1: hope no one hits it. <laughs> like, uh, no, bye. Bye.
0: Yeah, this person is a much better person than I ever will be. Mm, well, um, it depends
1: on what's in the box. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so the package was returned to Chris at Northwestern University, who receives it the next day. Chris gets the package, does not recognize the package as something he's sent. And so he calls campus security, as one does. And Officer Terry Marker opens the package, and it explodes. Right. Yep. Causing minor cuts and burns.
1: Oh. No, that's good. Yeah. Yes. No oh, one okay, cool. died. Cool, cool, cool. No one died. Just minor, minor cuts, and cuts and burns. Minor cuts and burns. So it's like a firecracker that's in there?
0: Amazing. Like, yeah. A big firecracker.
1: We had a neighborhood kid could get really burned by a smoke bomb once <laughs> on the 4th of July.
0: Yeah. Minor cuts and burns. Okay. So uh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> nearly a year later. It is now May 9th, 1979. We're back on the Northwestern campus. Okay. John G. Harris, he's a graduate student in the civil engineering department, is walking through the technical building um, and he comes across a box of Philly's brand cigars, which have been left on a table. So, of course, he opens the box. That's Finally, me. a normal yeah. person <laughs> That's me. in
1: this story.
0: He opens the box and it explodes. Causing cuts and burns. Again, no serious injuries. So minor
1: cuts and burns. Minor cuts and I burns. I keep waiting for someone to lose a finger.
0: Yeah, it, it's coming. So
1: Northwestern has had two explosions. In a year. Well, obviously basically. the solution is for everyone to have a small explosive device. That's the only way you're going to stop these <laughs> explosions. <laughs> right? That's what we understand. No, I get it. Okay, I get cool, it. Cool, cool. Yeah.
0: More explosives... Is the solution to, to explosives. Right,
1: 100%. 100%. Yeah, that and, way you
0: can protect yourself from the explosives. And
1: what's so cool about this, zero parallels. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, now,
0: later this same year, 1979, on November 15th, there is a package that has been shipped, and it gets put on... American Airlines Boeing 727 flight 444. Now we're talking. Yeah. En route to Washington, D.C. from Chicago. When the plane hits 34,500 feet, non-lethal smoke fills the cabin and the plane emergency lands at the Dulles Airport, which is near D.C. So they got minorly inconvenienced. <laughs>
1: I don't ah. know. Have you been to the Dulles Airport? That's like a huge Actually, yeah. The Dulles Airport
0: is not cute. Um <laughs> So there are no fatalities. Twelve passengers are treated on the scene for smoke inhalation. Sure. And the baggage compartment is damaged by the fire resulting from the explosion. Again, no fatalities, like some damage to a plane. The next year, June 9th, 1980, Percy Wood, which is the United Airlines president, is sifting through his mail in his home in Lake Forest, California. He receives a letter from an Enoch W. Fisher, Telling him that the um, names in
1: the story, by the way. James G. Harding or whatever it was. Crazy. That's, a president. Uh, <laughs> that's a president. All of them have middle initials. I, I know, also I think know that's why. it. I think it's a seventies, eighties things too. Maybe you yeah. know? Yeah, I don't understand Listen, it. if we're gonna do two things in the seventies and eighties, it's spell our names with our middle initial do and speak. regulate assault <laughs> weapons. <laughs> and speed. <laughs> No, see, y'all, that was my bad. I was going for the reoccurring motif.
0: Silence. (laughs) Good, okay. I'm not well. (laughs) Okay. So he receives a letter from Enoch W. Fisher telling... Wood, that Fisher would be sending a book of great importance to all business executives and, like, highly recommending that he reads it. Okay. Um, does Wood know Fisher? No. But, of course, Wood is the good executive, and so he's going to read the book.
1: Oh. See, okay, I'm sorry. I yeah. know I just interrupted. This is the same That's sentence. Fine. It's super easy to guess CEO emails. <laughs> <laughs> Because here's the thing, all organizations have emailing conventions, Mm. right? At my workplace, it's first initial, full last name, okay? So all you need to do is find the HR department, see what her email is, or his, Yeah, and then you're good. Just feel free to let (laughs) Eminem, the Mars company, know anything that's on your mind, because apparently they'll read it. like you know it's his email is emusk at twitter.com i just
0: had a great idea
1: (laughs) and that's how we go viral folks
0: did you see that Desantis just like is announcing his presidency today
1: did you see and it's not working (laughs) he keeps getting demoted to listener at his own launch party you know, it's you see so beep, funny. and you're like, nothing's ever going to be this funny. And then Ron DeSantis <laughs> runs for president, and you're like, give it up,
0: give it up, buddy, give <laughs> it up. Okay. To be fair, this was not an email. This was like a physical letter. But he still opened it's, it. Somebody says
1: not email. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I get
0: yeah. it. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure you knew. <laughs> anyway, the next day he receives um, a package, and he opens it. It's a book called The Ice Brothers by Sloan Wilson. Which I was like, maybe this is like a book about of great importance. As is you it? Said. It sounds
1: like a porn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a book about two new members of the U.S. Coast Guard who are forced to take command of a trawler in the Greenland Arctic seas after the actual captain had like what seems to be a mental breakdown.
1: All bosses <laughs> love to read stuff like this so like and then they like really believed in themselves in a situation where it. where they would die if not and their takeaway is always that like humans are capable of great things not that like Trauma will force people to do insane <laughs> shit, you know? True. Like, They're always like, if I terrorize my employees, like the North Sea will increase productivity by 3%. <laughs> and like the real takeaway is usually like you'll have high burnout and then a the unionization effort.
0: <laughs> we <laughs> stand unions. I feel a little
1: bit more political today than usual. <laughs> I because it's finally sunny out And again? I love
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go picket something. <laughs> okay. So Wood opens the book. And as you might have guessed, it's a hollowed out book and it detonates and it causes serious cuts to his face. I was actually
1: not guessing that. I'd actually gotten so deep in oh, the, in like, the book. <laughs> CEO that I was like, oh, right, bombs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, so upon inspection of the remnants of the bomb, there are the initials FC stamped into the bomb.
1: OK, do you know
0: what the story is now?
1: Um, potentially, do we do we trace our way back to Utah at some point?
0: Yes, there are some in Utah.
1: Okay, okay. No, feeling, feeling pretty good right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so at this point, if you're keeping tabs, there's been four bombs, right, over the span of
1: two years. Two in Chicago, one in D.C., one in California.
0: Yes. Dope. Yep. 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 So the local postal inspectors report all the incidents to the FBI. Of course, the FBI already knows because there's one on a plane mm. um so at this point the fbi has concluded that they have a serial bomber um so the fbi opens a case file and they named it according to their six-letter naming convention do you know what the six-letter naming
1: e musk no Got what is it. it is it oh is it unabomber
0: yeah hey! it is the unabomber so nice. They name it according to their six-letter naming convention. The first three letters were U-N-A, and there's some discrepancy here. There's a couple sources that said the U-N-A was for United Airlines because they mm. targeted the president of the United Airlines, but the flight that the bomb was on was American Airlines, so I don't know.
1: I think it's interesting because I always pronounced it U-N-A-bomber, and yeah. I just think yeah. like English is such an elastic language.
0: <laughs> Summer grant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, Unabomber
0: Unabomber Like unibrow Mm -hmm. Interesting right? And then um, But A lot of other sources Agree that it The Unabomber Is short for (laughs) University and Airline Mm. Bomber And then B-O-M
1: Short for bomb Boy that really Rolls off the tongue Doesn't it? University And Airline
0: I don't know if it's like Bomber (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's like U-N University Like both from University Or if it's University,
1: mm. You know the deputy FBI director is like a Northwestern alum, like, go Wildcats, and it's like, this is not the Northwestern bomber, okay? This is the <laughs> u- university, nameless, and airline <laughs> bomber. That's so true
0: at this point. It's just Northwestern.
1: Oh, wah, wah.
0: <laughs> like, so, the
1: Northwest bomber it sounds really interesting to me.
0: I, I, Yeah.
1: Knew the bomber is a good name, too. I yeah, mean, but they're not no, taking it's suggestions, not the same. so yeah, they're
0: not. <laughs> so, the FBI connected the incidents together as one for one suspect, um, because they had sort of inspected the remnants of the bombs and um, they were the guy all gave his initials on the last one, right? Yeah, but all of them were very like crudely built. I think the first one was literally made with matchsticks that where the like head of the match had been like meticulously cut off of like hundreds of matches and <clears throat> minor cuts and burns kids
1: sure, sure, sure. like
0: that's that's why guys
1: <laughs> but, you know what i'm shocked by that mm. nancy reagan didn't use the cigar box as another warning to not do drugs you know
0: she had she missed an opportunity she did i no mean no one died like she could have she could have used minor
1: it. cuts and burns
0: minor cuts and burns and
1: worst of all probably ruined the cigars <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so the FBI has an idea that it's one guy, yep. and that these bomb, bombings are connected. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: they form a quote loosely formed joint task force between the FBI and the Postal Inspection Service.
1: Group project vibes. <laughs> group project vibes. Group project vibes. Like, I love that. Honestly,
0: you're gonna you're gonna sit in a room with postal service workers and the FBI. I do
1: imagine one shows up in a suit and the other one has those like, honestly, like kind of flattering, like light blue button ups, you know?
0: I I love it. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so all of this happens. A year later, October 8th, 1981, a maintenance worker at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City sees a large package outside of the university computer mainframe room. It's the eighties. The package has a return address. Of BYU, Brigham Young University, mm. an electrical engineering professor there named Leroy Wood Burnson. Burnson? I'm not sure.
1: I think it's Burnson. <laughs> Burnson. Burnson. Minor hey. Burnson. I'm sorry, we you don't have to use that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the package was reportedly there for a long time, so the student calls campus security, who suspected it was a bomb.
1: Nice.
0: (laughs) And called in the bomb squad to defuse it. So this is the first bomb um, to be defused, and this one is also found to have the letters FC stamped into it. Um, May 5th, 1982, so a little less than a year later, a package is mailed to Professor Patrick C. Fisher at Penn State. The issue being Patrick C. Fisher no longer works at Penn State. So the package was forwarded. Is
1: this the bomb that went from Utah to BYU to... Penn State, or they took care of the Utah bomb, and they now we're in Penn They took care State. of the
0: Utah okay, bomb. This okay. is a different one. Um, this package was then forwarded to Vanderbilt, where he had been working now for two years, so okay. the Unabomber didn't have a shit together, apparently. <laughs> um, Fisher was vacationing in Puerto Rico at the time this the package arrived, so his secretary, Janet Smith, oh, opened no. it and received serious injuries to her face and arms. Janet. I know. It had to be a woman, too. Um, the and package... now America cares. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the package also had a return address of Leroy Burnson of BYU, um, who is a real person. And both times he had no, rec- he did not know about these packages. I did
1: not know the Unabomber hated higher education so much. Who is he? Ron it. DeSantis. Hey. Hey, <laughs> <are my friends. laughs> um,
0: so the package had utilized canceled stamps for the first time, theoretically to ensure that it got returned to sender when it did not. (laughs) And there's a metal tag inside the bomb containing the letters FC. At this point, the authorities have no suspects. Mm. Not even
1: a single lead. But what did the post office have?
0: (laughs) You know what? They knew.
1: (laughs) They had it figured out from the start. It has to be kind of tough to be in that half of the group project because you are the ones delivering these packages. (laughs) Yeah, We're going to catch them guys. We promise. We just move like a lot of inventory.
0: Um, And so they had expected the bomber to make a mistake at this point, leave a fingerprint on, like, the sticky side of the stamp or the, like, actual stamp or a hair somewhere in the contraption. And none of the left, what was left over of the bombs or the diffused bombs gave up any clues. Even the materials themselves weren't helpful because they were all seemingly very random. Like, they didn't give any hints to where the Mm. bombs might have come from. So not long after that Patrick C. Fisher bomb, on July (laughs) 2nd, 1982... I genuinely do not know how to pronounce that name. I heard it pronounced on the documentary, but I could not tell you.
1: I would guess Diogenes.
0: Diogenes J. An- Angelicos? Our next victim. <laughs> He's an engineering professor at UC Berkeley. Sees what looks to be some engineering equipment on the floor of the faculty lounge. I believe the name of the. How the hell is
1: he getting into these places? I don't
0: know. No, you'll find out, actually. You'll oh, find okay. out. Um, upon lifting <laughs> the, the handle,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I didn't for a second. <laughs> Listen, towards the end of writing these notes, my brain was like, "What?" So anyway, <laughs> Jeans sees some <laughs> engineering equipment on the floor of the faculty lounge um, in I, what I believe was Corey Hall. If I, I don't have it written down, but okay. I think that's what it called. What it was called? Um, upon lifting the handle, it explodes and causes him serious injuries to his arms, face, and hands. Inside of the bomb, a note was found saying, Woo, it works. I told you it would, Um, like, from RV. And so the FBI are like, that's a hint. That's a dead hint. (laughs) So they're looking at people named Woo. They're looking at people.
1: (laughs) They're looking at people. They're also looking at Professor Woo, because that's who they thought it was addressed to. Exactly. Woo it works
0: (laughs) yeah well it works they're trying to find anyone named woo that maybe has a friend with the initials rv to be
1: a hater of this level during the early 80s is so tough because you're getting like no video no audio like no content you can use or share you're just like reading about it in the news one day
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's crazy so that was a complete dead end they never found anything, and I wonder if that's for also, a Also,
1: have the initials now changed too? I thought it was no, like FV, or. It's yeah.
0: FC. This is a totally different thing. I think FC might have still been in the bomb. Actually, I don't know, but whatever.
1: So we have a couple initials floating around, yeah, and a couple of bombs floating much, around. Yeah. Okay.
0: So at this point, the bomber has not caused any fatalities, but slowly he was creating more efficient explosives, which is mm. what was scaring the FBI, because sure. they were realizing that whoever He's this learning. was you know, was getting better at what they were doing after this there was nearly a three-year period where nothing happened so the fbi was thinking maybe this guy was a criminal and he got caught for something else maybe he died
1: <laughs> the fbi took the same approach to the unabomber that i took to my health my entire 20s <laughs> If I don't tell anyone about it or seek any help at all, it will go away.
0: Yeah, no one will know.
1: Listen, I went to a doctor the day before I turned 30. He called me young and healthy in that order, too. You've so, said
0: that in every podcast since it happened to you. People
1: will eventually learn <laughs> Catch <it. on.
0: laughs> Grant is young and
1: healthy. My students go, you're what, mister, like 30? And I go, I am 30. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was my favorite game to play when I was a summer camp counselor was like, how old do you think we are? Because like, it was a wide range of people. Like It was sure. people that were teachers and then it was like people like me who were in high school, right? And so they were like, we think you're like 52.
1: You're so mean. <laughs> I was like, do you know what a 50, so 52-year-old rude. is doing at that time? Yeah, I was like, huh? <laughs> <Wait>. Okay.
0: <laughs> so after the three-year sabbatical, Um, May 15th, 1985.
1: I love that you call it a sabbatical, like he was also in Puerto Rico. I don't know why I called
0: it a sabbatical. I think someone must have said sabbatical, Mm. and then I just kept repeating it.
1: (coughs) Sabbatical, yeah. Sabbatical, yeah, Yeah. it was a sabbatical. After taking some paid time off from bombing professors, (laughs) he came back to it.
0: He came back to it. Came back. Um, John Hauser, a grad student and captain of the U.S. Air Force, lost four fingers and vision in one eye. Yeah, the bomb followed a three-year break, utilized a new explosive compound, which was ammonia, nitrate, and aluminum powder. So now the FBI is really starting to freak out because it's getting more effective, and it's starting to cause more harm. Right, um, and, and then, it's
1: still a bomb.
0: And it's still a bomb. Yeah, they can't be like, oh no, minor cuts and burns.
1: What is this, experimental poetry? <laughs> no, not that. It's like, still explosives.
0: Yeah, it's still <laughs> explosives. Um, so almost all of the bombs following this one have the initials FC stamped into it. I'm going to stop mentioning that because it gets repetitive. So he lost four fingers, and in the documentary, they showed that he like wore like a big class ring, what looks like, on one hand and when he lost those fingers the ring went flying and it actually made a like a perfect like replica of the ring in the wall cuz it hit the wall with such force the
1: way i did not need to know that
0: <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> listen if you haven't caught on yet i like true crime um so
1: <laughs> yeah cuz every time i tell a story i'm like here's a funny thing some colorful characters did and you're like and he lived in the woods for 30 years <laughs>
0: Listen, I'm not sad about it. Anyway, next month, June 13th, 1985. So this is like, now we're picking up the pace. Now the FBI is really freaking out. Um, A bomb is set to Boeing in Auburn, Washington. It's diffused by the bomb squad because you sent it to an engineering firm, like an actual engineering firm. Okay.
1: He also sent it to several universities who did fully open it. Have
0: you been to universities? You
1: know I have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're not particular. Also, you can't stop a grad student from opening a That's package.
1: That's so true. Yeah. That's so true.
0: Ob- like, yeah. I don't know. Boeing seems like maybe more secure. I don't
1: know. Also, like, while all departments are like certainly equal, uh, at my university... Go Cornhuskers! Um, the College of Business Administration <laughs> had like a brand new spaceship of a building, and the College of Education still had yellow paint <laughs> and chalkboards, and was mainly subterranean. They um, needed you to learn. I can tell you what building was not getting bombs delivered to. You. <laughs> <laughs> education building. Anyways, all I was was,
0: going to (laughs) say. Okay, November 15th, the same year, 1985. James V. McConnell and Nicholas Sweeney were, they were a psychology professor and assistant, uh, respectively, at the University of Michigan, were both severely injured after opening a bomb addressed to McConnell. Unfortunately, the assistant is the one that opened it, and so he's the one that received most of the injury.
1: So far the people getting maimed in all these bombs are like the secretaries and grad assistants, and people who don't think trash belongs on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> the Literally. best of us are the ones that are suffering <laughs> the consequences. Damn it!
0: Uh, so the bomb appeared to be a three ring binder, and it included a letter um, like on top of it asking the professor to review a student's master thesis, which is why it was opened so efficiently. Um, The same year, December 11th, 1985, so if you're counting, that is four bombs now in 1985. There is a nail and splinter bomb that is left in a parking lot in Sacramento, California. Um, The store of the parking lot belongs to a man named Hugh Scruton. Hugh Scruton does die, unfortunately. This is our first fatality. And upon further investigation, Hugh was a student at Berkeley like 20 or so years ago. And so that's they're trying to make connections. Sure, and trying to figure yeah, it out. And that was a connection because there's been several targetings of um, it's University of Michigan, Northwestern. Right. What is it? Some University of our nation's of Utah, Berkeley. most
1: expensive schools.
0: <laughs> yeah. So February 20th, 1987. So two years ish later. A bomb was disguised as a piece of lumber. Wait, so he
1: does four in one year and then takes another sabbatical? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, why? I don't understand.
1: Interesting. Do think it really was like a side hobby for him?
0: Oh, we'll get into it. Okay. Oh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so, February 20th, 1987, there was a bomb that was disguised as a piece of lumber and it was again in a parking lot. And the owner of the store, who's the park, who the park, I can't, I don't know how to word that. The parking lot of the store. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bomb disguised as a piece of lumber in the parking
1: lot of the store. You even better at, like, hiding them as just everyday objects, Exactly. Too.
0: And so, Gary Wright and his son um, tried to remove it from their store parking lot. This was in Salt Lake City. Um, the, the explosion severed nerves in Wright's left arm and sent over 200 pieces of shrapnel into his body. Oh. The thing that makes this bombing unique is that a suspect was spotted. <gasps> Love it. I know. He was spotted while planting the Salt Lake City bomb, and it led to a sketch of the suspect being released. And if you, I don't know if you've ever seen a sketch released mm. by the police, it does look like the person after you see
1: the person. Oh, sure, 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 <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You're like, if we backload this. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: You know, it's a lot like uh, Tinder profiles versus person you meet on your first mm-hmm. Tinder date, you're yeah. like, that photo does look like you, which is not to say that you look like the photo. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So
0: if you ever look up the the Unabomber portrait, it's a sketch of a man wearing a hoodie, aviator sunglasses. So he's hot. And like a beard, I think. And it's like very non It's a white man.
1: And that was UNA?
0: UNA. <laughs> UNA Bomber, uh, like bomber FBI
1: sketch. Oh yeah, it's like the third uh, mm. option. Oh, wow. It kind of looks like Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, it does a little Like, bit. rest in peace, yeah. but like... It was described as reddish blonde hair, which is
1: important later oh, on. Oh, okay. The curls aren't as, as cool then.
0: Okay, Sorry.
1: so... I need to get off these uh, sketches.
0: Following <laughs> this 1987 bomb, um, there is a six-year-long break where nothing happens. Okay. And I will again remind you, the FBI continued to have not a single idea of where... it's so what's
1: going on? As to
0: who the bomber is, where the bomber might be, like anything. I, I
1: think it's clear that the post office was closer to solving this because he started to hand deliver them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, from this point on, It's all through the mail. He never hand delivers anything again. So it's all through the mail. He learned his lesson, unfortunately, after he got spotted.
1: He got sketched out. He got, hey. Told you he'd get back to the Titanic. (laughs) I never grew out of that phase. I hate
0: it here. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to run through these um, next, next points. Um, six-year-long sabbatical, FBI, or I think at this point, if I were the FBI, were probably hoping that he was a criminal of something else and got put in jail, oh. so that way they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. Sure. But they also kept having to answer to the press about why sure. they had no idea what was happening. So, June 22nd of 1993, there's a bomb mailed to Charles Epstein, and it's, as far as I know, no relation, no relation. to the Epstein or... Anyway, he's a geneticist at the University of California. I'm also two
1: months old now in this story.
0: Very different from the Epstein that everyone thinks of when you say Epstein. Sure. Um, He's a geneticist. The return address is University of California, San Francisco. Um, Epstein opens the box. He's suffered a broken arm, abdominal trauma, and he also lost several fingers. Mm. That same weekend, June 25th, 1993, a bomb is mailed to David (laughs) Gelertner. can't pronounce anything (laughs) who is a comp sci professor at yale um this man lost one eye hearing in one ear and a portion of his right hand
1: first ivy league target though
0: yeah yeah that's true june 25th 1993 so this is the same day as that most recent one that i just mentioned warren hodge an editor at the new york times receives a letter from the anarchist group fc the FBI deduced that this was not a group, but an
1: individual. Oh, nice. Okay. Despite
0: the letter saying we are an anarchist group. <laughs> um, because this is their reasoning, deadass, from the FBI. I got this from the FBI website interviewing FBI investigators. So <laughs> there is no way a group could stay this tight-lipped over so many years <laughs> with no mistakes.
1: Here's the thing. Thank you for finally launching into an area that I'm like truly an expert in. Okay. <laughs> So as a person who taught for years world history before I moved to the elective that I teach, um, I like there was always come a moment where like I'd have a boy in my class who'd been on the internet for too long and I'd have to like basically talk them out of conspiracy theories. (laughs) In fact, one year, my second year teaching on the anniversary of 9-11, a teacher was gone and the sub instead of doing the sub plan, just went onto YouTube and played the first 9-11 documentary that they found.
0: No. I'm
1: 24 years old, like, second year teaching, which means I've only been doing it for like 10 months. And I'm like, jet fuel can melt steel beams. (laughs) Like, you guys don't understand what you're talking about right now. And one of the things I always come back to is, like, you can't keep... Your own secrets <laughs> about trivial nonsense. Okay? Do you understand as adults how much we are eager for other people to think we are important? <laughs> no one is keeping secrets, okay? Every time you tell a secret, a small friend group is informed, and an angel gets its wings. Like, I don't know what else to tell you.
0: <laughs> no one can keep a secret, and that's how the FBI realized that the Unabomber was a single person. I love it. <laughs> i love the base knowledge uh okay december nineteenth, nineteen 1994 so a year later over a year later thomas j mosser who is an executive at a company called young and rubicam which is a public relations company was killed after opening a bomb sent to his new jersey home
1: no warning there i know so
0: that's the second fatality if you're keeping track
1: yeah
0: um the fbi now comes to the conclusion that the targets were not targeted as a result of like some personal vendetta Because none of them have any relation to each other and they cannot find anything. So they're assuming that they're being targeted kind of at random, but also they're being picked because the Unabomber is likely reading stuff about them.
1: Yeah, he can, like, find their address. Yes, exactly.
0: Because they're famous enough and they're doing something that's making him mad. And that's how he's picking them. So April 24th, 1995, so a little less than a year later... Gilbert. Two Brent- days
1: after my second birthday. <laughs> Just crazy when you hear stories and you're like, oh, I was like alive during that. I wasn't. <laughs> this is ageism. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm harder than she is. I was born into terrorism. What to talk
0: <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so Gilbert Brent Murray, he's the president of a timber industry lobbying group. Um, in the California Forestry, Forestry Association, is killed by a mail bomb addressed to the previous president, William Dennison, who had retired.
1: I mean, obviously I'm not pro-terrorism. No. But to attack a lumber company <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest, America's last great rainforest.
0: Listen, not I'm not agreeing with the Unabomber at any point, I am saying maybe he had some valid points.
1: Caleb Heron is this great uh, comedian, Mm -hmm. and after the horrendous decision overturning Roe v. Wade, he came out with a little song. Oh, no. Maybe it's time for political violence (laughs) against my enemies. It agrees with me politically, or it gets the violence. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I don't endorse that. I'm just offering it up for discussion.
0: Listen, the Unabomber would have loved it. (laughs) Would the Unabomber have found it? Probably not. Also,
1: on the ideology scoreboard, it's like a dozen college professors. (laughs) And one person who probably just like cut him off one day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So... April 1995, so the same month that Gilbert Brent Murray, the president of the lobbying group, um, died, many letters were sent out from FC. One was to one of the most recent survivors, the um, I don't can't, I can't say his name. Ger- Gellertner, Gelertner Gellertner, Gelernter. We're going to go with that. I'm
1: not going to get us any closer. So. No.
0: So one was sent to David Gelernter, the survivor of the 1993 bombing. And there's mm. a quote um, from that letter that says, There are a lot of people out there who resent bitterly the way techno nerds like you are changing the world. And you wouldn't have been dumb enough to open an unexpected package from an unknown source.
1: This man is using... <laughs> a national post service with like readily made access to like basically all of the bomb making supplies that he's want and he's mad about modernity? He's mad about not you advancing us past the (laughs) epoch which was apparently 1977. Like the Amish I get, you know? But that, you know what, you know what I miss? The months before Carter's first midterm. Like what? <laughs> what are you talking about?
0: And, and this poor man is a comp sci professor, so you know, just like, just like, kind of introverted. This man's and,
1: teaching typewriter. This man's <laughs> teaching word processing.
0: And he's getting called a techno nerd, and being <laughs> condemned for opening an unexpected package.
1: <laughs> can't handle it like obviously terrorists don't have like a unified vision on the world no. but when you get even just like a little appetizer <laughs> of it you're like this is nuts it's crazy. you could have killed jeff bezos
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you chose to target a comp sci professor also is
1: it a professor or is it a comp sci adjunct professor because we know the hollowing out of universities Started well before the current age, <laughs> you know? That's true.
0: That's very true. So another letter, same month, was sent to, or two separate letters, were sent to Dr. Philip Sharp at MIT and Dr. Richard Roberts at New England Biolabs, and both were basically the same letter, and they both had a quote. that said, it would be beneficial to your health to stop your research in genetics.
1: <laughs> so he's not even mad about, like, cell phones, or I guess at that point, like, the car phone?
0: He's mad about research into genetics.
1: He's mad about, like, genetic diseases? I... Which must... Like, this is how the Stop FBI... Stop your research into hemophilia or there will be consequences.
0: What? There's <laughs> just, like like looking at this story from the way that the fbi were like getting it and the news sources were getting it i cannot really blame them for not understanding
1: <laughs> what's going on okay i also want to make sure it's clear we are not laughing that like people got no bound. no it's the reason the man sent the bombs <laughs> is Seems hilarious
0: unhinged
1: do you know how long it takes me to get to the post office for things like my passport application? Yeah, and this man's like, not you studying the side behind blue eyes. <laughs> Stop now, or your secretary gets it. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's who the victims were. That's what happened.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Okay, another letter gets sent to Warren Hodge at the New York Times with an explanation for the reason that some of his victims were chosen. See,
1: that's that's the real gig. If there's a insane... Serial killer out there. the job you want is biggest newspaper in town, yes, like. The Zodiac Killer, mm-hmm. love talking to the one out in San Francisco. Really
0: wanted to talk to New sources. Absolutely. Here's yeah. the
1: thing. I'm, a, I'm friends with several journalists now. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to talk to them. It's like, <laughs> actually, they're incredible <laughs> listeners. Easy to talk to.
0: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> they just want a therapist without feeling like they're going to a therapist.
1: Correct. Go to the bar closest to their office <laughs> that has a happy hour that goes a little bit later than the other ones. They're there. <laughs> You'll find I'm them. You. You'll find them. They're <laughs> not paid well.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So Mosser, who was the executive at Young and Rubican, was chosen because his company worked to repair the public image of Exxon after the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Uh, that's a great point. I know, right? Like, I don't want to agree with a criminal,
1: but... Okay, so... Fourth quarter comeback, kind of. Yeah. Going so on.
0: <laughs> I looked, I did some research on the Exxon Valdez oil spill, if you don't know, like me, um, occurred in a, okay, I know the name, I just don't know the details, God. <laughs>
1: That's worse.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to remember every oil spill, guys. <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> too many.
0: And by too many, I mean like five. Were you alive
1: when BP oil spill yeah, was a Yeah, yeah. Thing? Cool. I remember cool, that cool, one cool. distinctly, okay, cool. yeah
0: occurred in March of 1989 when a super tanker bound for Long Island hit the William Sound, Bly Reef, Bly Reef, I don't know. It hit a reef mm-hmm. in the William Prince William Sound. It spilled 10.8 million gallons of crude oil and affected 1300 miles of coastline and it's the second largest after the Deepwater Horizon spill in
1: 2010.
0: Yeah. So, big big boy one. Yeah. Biggest of the time at that point. Aside from Mosser, professors were selected due to their work in certain fields. Okay <laughs> it seems like it's a little out there. It does it does <laughs> I don't know. professors I don't think are paid enough um, for that but author so the author of the letter claims to be part of an anarchist group whose goal was to quote "break down society into very small, completely autonomous units and he bargains to stop terrorist activities if the New York Times publishes their manuscript. Um, however, there's an important differentiation between terrorist activities and sabotage. Right. Apparently. Um, this person, the author of the letter, defines terrorist activities as relating to people and, like, hurting people. As a person people. who
1: coaches debate, it's actually, like, really good to provide your own definition for some of these <laughs> it's, it's, like, actually like, classic opening he argument knew. move. He knew. He
0: knew what to he do. He knew what he was doing. Um, and sabotage <laughs> relates to the destruction of property. And apparently they ended the letter or ended this bargain with we reserve the right to engage with sabotage.
1: So he's like, it's like a legal contract. Yeah,
0: we'll stop killing people. Yeah, we'll stop trying to hurt people, but we cannot promise that we won't set fire to the New York Times.
1: (laughs) I promise to stop sending bombs to complete strangers, but I do not promise to stop setting myself on fire! (laughs) Uh okay, not to make like another education reference, yeah. but like I so I work with high schoolers and it's so great because they oftentimes learn words before they learn oh, the I words. Love that. And so you're like, that's not how, how you about, use the word yeah. redundant. And <laughs> wh- who put that in front of you this week? Like I had never heard you say the word before. How and now you're it? wrong about it. <laughs> Honestly, they're using it redundantly. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I taught them the word Stark once, and for the next two weeks I had to slash it out of everything <laughs> they turned in. Because it'd be like, I had a Stark day. Because I thought it what? meant like big or important, and it's like, yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and he's over here, he's over here like, this legal contract that I typed up which again feels like modernity. <laughs> it feels like intro computer science stuff to me. He's like, oh, and by the way, I can still do sabotage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but publish my manuscript.
1: <laughs> Pretty pleased. <laughs> In your nationally syndicated newspaper that requires loads of technology to and get And you out. just
0: know this manuscript is not going to be short. No. Yeah, okay. So June 27th, 1995, that is the same year. Jerry Roberts, who is an editor at the San Francisco Examiner, gets a letter saying FC is planning on blowing up an airliner flying out of L.A. in the next six days. Like, what do you do with that? Intro- that wasn't. There's no bargain. There's like, I'm going to do this if you don't publish my manuscript. It's just, we're going to so do this. So that
1: falls under sabotage or <laughs> terrorism? <Yes. laughs>
0: He's only trying. It's not intent. He's Listen, only trying I to blow up an I
1: warned you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um just to give a little spoiler that Explosion never happens right. for no apparent reason. Because
1: we're chuckling about it right Yeah, now.
0: Appar- Yeah, just so you know. Uh, so June 28th, the day later in 1995, Warren Hodge at the New York Times receives the 65-page manuscript.
1: Nice. Not short at all. <laughs> Longer than most newspapers. People who want to write novels struggle to do that much yeah. sometimes.
0: Uh, receives a 65-page manuscript from F.C. and their terms for the publication, um, which we'll get into in a second. On the same day, the Scientific American receives Mm. a letter from F.C. referencing an article that they published in 1993, so two years prior, on particle accelerators, and discusses the negative aspects of scientific advances on society.
1: It's taken me a while, but I've finally synthesized my thoughts on your 1993 thing about particle accelerators. And I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) I strongly disagree. (laughs) And if you want to know what my credentials are, i am look in the New York Times in the next couple of days <laughs> and know what I'm all about. <laughs> That's
0: some power. That's some power. Okay, June 29th, 1995, a day later, um, Penthouse publisher um, Bob Gucciuni gets a response from FC because they had reached out to him like by publishing something saying that they would publish his manuscript.
1: Absolute clout chasers from the start. It's not just her generation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The response is hilarious. The author, F.C., sends a response to Penthouse with the manuscript along with the publication terms. Wait,
1: how does Penthouse... Send FC.
0: I think they must have published something. I didn't like look into in, it. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was like, wait, do we have this guy's mailing address? No, no, no. no. They, and I the think... FBI is still like, I don't know, USPS, what should we do? <laughs> okay.
0: And Petos is like, let's just give him a call. There are
1: literally like three board, three billboards outside yeah. of like Billings, Missouri, or whatever that movie is. They're like, dear FC. <laughs>
0: we'll publish for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... F.C. sends the manuscript along with the same publication terms they had sent to the New York Times um, and the Washington Post. I must. He mm-hmm. also sent the same bargain to the Washington Post. Um, the author sends the manuscript along with the publication terms, but also mentions that they would rather see the manuscript published in the New York Times or the Washington Post <laughs> because they're respectable.
1: <laughs> I, a bomber of innocence... Would never degrade myself to Penthouse. But it's important that I spread the word. So if I have to.
0: So he adds that if Penthouse publishes it and the others don't, they will still adhere to the bargain, but they reserve the right to one more bomb.
1: Because <laughs> it's already in the mail.
0: They're like, shit. Here's the
1: thing. Honestly flattered. Just as late. long as, like, the next seven days this is, like, a forgive and forget kind of time period.
0: I don't... <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Listen,
1: I will do it. Put one more bomb to kind of generate readership, right? We Just gotta get some page clicks on it. And I know exactly what we need to do to market this thing.
0: This is a lesson on knowing your worth, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> it's about building hype... We could honestly be taking lessons from the Unabomber. The
0: Unabomber knew how to advertise and how to set his boundaries. New York Times,
1: if you interview us, we will stop making podcasts. However, we reserve the right for one more podcast and whatever we think is sabotage.
0: (laughs) For the rest of our lives in perpetuity. (laughs) We're good at this. We're good at this. Okay, so in this letter to Penthouse, he also reveals what FC stands for. What do you think FC stands for? So on the documentary, I didn't write all of them down, but they were just brainstorming. I
1: hope that's one of the New York Times crossword puzzles.
0: Like, what does FC stand for? We don't know.
1: I want to be like Zelda Fitzgerald, but that's not the right one.
0: No. I don't remember what all of them were, but one distinctly I remember was Fuck Computers, and I wanted so badly for that to be correct.
1: He strikes me as classier than that. I don't think Fuck would be his first name, you know? know? Yeah, you're right.
0: Um, The name FC stands for Freedom Club, which is so lame, right? It's such a letdown.
1: I was trying to think, like, forgive and compliment. (laughs) (laughs) And it stands for what? Freedom Club. That's so lame. I know. And yet another evidence point as to this is not a group. There was no one to bounce (coughs) ideas off of.
0: There would have been one person that would have been like, I think we can do better. I think we can
1: do. I think that's a great start. And honestly, Fred, I don't know what his name is. Thank you for starting the conversation. I think we can now hear other proposals.
0: <laughs> I'm not here to skeet shoot, however. <laughs> you know,
1: Fred's like sliding a book over to him being like, "Go to be chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot make him likable. I'm just so disarming.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Okay. June 30th, 1995. So we're still in the same month, same year. Tom Tyler, who's a social psychologist at UC Berkeley, receives the manuscript from F.C. No intent or no message to be like, publish this or anything like that. Um, No bomb either, in case you were wondering. It seems like a
1: 65-page manuscript would have space for a bomb. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, Tyler, I guess, had previously commented on one of the recent bombings in a newspaper interview. And so F.C. reached out to uh to Tom Tyler and ask questions about technology and its effects.
1: Like, oh. I don't know, I've kind of been like rethinking my position on all of this. <laughs> I just wanna have think. some stuff to just like the toughest part is like a lot of the worst people in history, like uh, you read some of their stuff or like their backstory yeah. or whatever, and you're like, God, like a good friend. Yeah. You know? Like, wow. Like a Michael Malloy. <laughs> I would do so oh, much. Oh, ride or die.
0: Ride or die, You friend. He would have been friend.
1: forgettable, but probably also happier. <laughs> <laughs> True. is like, hey, I just kind of want to chat if you got a minute.
0: Just saying, Michael Malloy could have saved that bar. <laughs> anyway, we're referring to episode one. <laughs> September 19th, 1995. Several months later, no airline bombing, as he had threatened. Sure. Um, the Washington Post and New York Times both split the cost of the publication of the manuscript and they publish it in the day's Washington Post. And they did this. What? Yes. And they did this because the Washington Post was able to distribute a separate section. So it was like not in the Washington Post, but it was still
1: published. That's nuts. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Listen, I routinely negotiate with terrorists. Because <laughs> By terrorists, he means 14-year-old boys. Who refuse to sit in their assigned seat. And I swear to God, I'm chill, okay? But my job is to teach you. And sometimes, and I'm still this way, I can't make a smart seating choice. And after many warnings and a bit of appeasement, I ultimately then have to move them. Yeah. And that's when they say, no. <laughs> and not to be a conservative. But that's when I bring the power of the state on my side. <laughs> and again, I'm like trying to be chill. I'm like, hey, like, let's try it out today. Let's see how see it goes. And then if it goes well today, I don't know, maybe we try try like, the opening activity back in that original seat yeah. tomorrow. But if you don't move, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing you do not give them in that height of moment
0: is what they it's want. exactly what they want.
1: Exactly, because that conversation now is in, is validated and will continue. Yeah. Insane. The, in Insane behavior. The, in the 90s, when Bill Clinton president, <laughs> and there's so much to report on, they're like, I think we need to distribute this nationally. <laughs> Hey, guys, we have the book of the summer.
0: Yes, <laughs> 65 pages. Oh, my God. I would
1: love if, like, serendipitously, this is what inspires Oprah's book club. <laughs> think is on air by this point.
0: Just saying. <laughs> Gotta know. So the manuscript is now referred to as the Unabomber Manifesto. However, the Unabomber would argue with you and say that it's called industrial society and its future. So I know, Uh dear listeners, you've been wondering, why is the Unabomber a consequence of the Industrial Revolution? I have been
1: feeling like it's been a stretch for the last hour. I have been curious. Here
0: we are. I googled the Industrial Revolution and its consequences, trying to find what I could possibly do this story on, aside from the five-day, 40-hour work week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and coincidentally, the first six letters, or first six words of the Unabomber Manifesto is the Industrial Revolution and its consequences.
1: <laughs> so, to kind of speedrun that last little part for you, there, dear listener, Maya Googled something, and the top results was the Unabomber's Manifesto. And I don't know a lot about algorithms, <laughs> but I know enough. But I know enough, and I think so does Maya.
0: (laughs) Here's the thing, if you'll remember the last episode that I did about people living in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. we talked about hermits, and the Unabomber is famously
1: a hermit. You have a degree in chemical engineering is what I'm also remembering (laughs) right now. You have a degree in chemical engineering, your top search result was this man's published book. (laughs)
0: Listen, I'm going to need you to mind your
1: business. (laughs) Got really tense here in the studio. A little bit of red string got broken out and started to tie (laughs) things together. I need my lawyer.
0: (laughs) So anyway, I'm going to read to you the first point that he makes in his manifesto called the industrial society and its future (laughs) one the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race they have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in quote advanced countries but they have destabilized society have made life unfulfilling and have subjected human beings to indignities have led to widespread psychological suffering Parentheses in the third world to physical suffering as well, close parentheses and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world, the continued development of technology will worsen the situation. It will certainly subject human beings to greater indignities and inflict greater damage on the natural world, it will probably lead to greater social disruption and psychological suffering and it may lead to increased physical suffering, even in the advanced countries.
1: So the Unabomber and I share some political <laughs> philosophy. That was shocking to hear. Right. Read aloud back to you. I was prepared for one good point. I wasn't prepared for an airtight case.
0: <laughs> I know. I, like the, I think I've read the first half of that and I was like, oh my Ooh, god. yikes. <laughs>
1: Do I agree? Maybe it's time for political <laughs> violence against my enemies. Listen,
0: I'm not saying I agree with the Unabomber. I am saying he has some valid points.
1: Listen, much like the Unabomber, I'm going to use this platform to launch my own career as a country music singer. <laughs> I actually hate that. I was so prepared for him to be absolutely like off the wagon. Yes, and please. instead he is like crystal clear in his <laughs> thinking just has a really messed up cause-effect relationship <laughs> in his brain. Yeah. That's very disappointing. Why would you pick genetics professors? <laughs> genetics You could blow sign. up a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> You're making bombs. Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> It's not here to coach anyone on how to do (laughs) domestic terrorism and or domestic sabotage. But but if I'm mad about the state of the world and I can make explosives, then I think I'm going to target the machines that I hate. And we'll get into why he doesn't
0: (sighs) in a second. Doesn't
1: he? Maya always does such a good job with these stories because she, like, thoroughly researches them. (laughs) Because
0: I have ADHD. (laughs) It is a superpower sometimes.
1: (laughs) Okay, so after his insanely correct, I get why it was published. After his insanely (laughs) correct manifesto, what comes next?
0: So um, when they publish this, there's a joint statement that they publish along with it. Um, that they say they published it on the recommendation of the FBI for public safety reasons. The FBI, however, knew that they wanted to publish it for public safety reasons, but also because they were hoping that if it got published, someone would recognize the writing.
1: Oh. And that's how they
0: would find the Unabomber.
1: So they just needed every eighth grade English teacher in the country to, <laughs> to read. read it. It's <laughs> Okay, cool, cool, cool.
0: Um, the FBI received well over... 50,000 tips on their tip line.
1: Okay. Kind of cast and, too wide of a net. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. Uh, February 14th, 1996, so less than a year later, David Kaczynski contacts the FBI with the belief that his brother, Ted Kaczynski, may be the Unabomber.
1: Huge January six vibes. <laughs> if we can just go <laughs> ahead and say it.
0: And he tells them this and says, point blank, that he does not want the reward money. He just genuinely feels that his brother is probably the unibomber.
1: I'm not doing this for any kind of notoriety. I don't need anything published. I don't need the money. I just really don't want to spend Christmas with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could investigate that, it'd be worth more to me than anything. <laughs> he has these insane <laughs> ideas around the proletariat. He keeps calling me proletariat. <laughs> he keeps, he keeps me. giving me books. <laughs> And he
0: knows I can't read exactly
1: <laughs> So when my wife read that manuscript to me, I was like, this is my chance okay, so David yeah. David hero David
0: David hero David um he then sends the FBI a 23 page like God, this essay or something of writers
1: just <clears throat> yeah. can absolutely generate some content for okay you he sends
0: he sends a 23 page that Ted had written
1: oh not that he had written he kept it. <laughs> My brother made me a like a bedside table in his high school woodshop class, and I still own it. You keep things like that. You do. I get it. You do. And then eventually you turn him over to the FBI.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now if your brother started making bombs out of things that look like bedside tables. I
1: have to give a toast at his wedding in two months, and while I have a general outline, nothing has been finalized yet. And I think a heartwarming story about the Unabomber, Ah <laughs> uh, Bomber. <laughs> could really liven up the show.
0: I think that'd be great.
1: So if you all look under your (laughs) seats, please do not invite me. I'm really looking forward to it. Mom already got the hotel rooms. (laughs) Oh, you're really devolved. I got to stop interrupting you. What did David send the FBI? So
0: he sent the FBI a 23-page essay or something that Ted had written in 1971, and they were able to match the writing style to the manuscript and the letters that he had been sending out. So they confirm that they think it's David or sorry they think it's Ted and then but they don't have enough evidence but that is enough evidence to get a search warrant
1: sure it's like the mid 90s he's the only person in America not using this and equal correctly <laughs>
0: true <laughs> um, so april 3rd 1996 they get a search warrant they go to Ted's cabin Um, In Montana. Nice. Tiny, tiny town in Montana. Lincoln, Montana, it's
1: called. Famous industrial state Montana.
0: Yeah. So... They were thinking that the Unabomber has been so meticulous mm. in everything. They have—he's not left a fingerprint. He's not left any hair. He's—he was spotted once and then never again. Right. He's been very careful. The return addresses are always also people that he'd be willing to target in case it gets returned to sender. And sometimes he's intentionally oh, right. targeting people that are returned to sender.
1: Right.
0: Right. <clears throat> so they're worried that when they do the search warrant, they're not going to find anything. Right.
1: Right. 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 Um,
0: however. If you've ever looked up the inside of the Unabomber cabin,
1: Go <laughs> that on. is
0: a hoarder nest.
1: Unibomber cabin.
0: Yeah, inside. It is a... Our
1: commitment to visual mediums in this audio art form... We'll start
0: posting them on Instagram. First,
1: wait. Did they move it to a museum? It's possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's very possible. Um love this one of someone oh that's not a selfie okay um, <laughs> Look up oh me. yeah okay the best way you can describe it for those of you who are not looking at my phone right now <laughs> if you've ever been on Disney's Splash Mountain you know the like scary part where you're like why is this actually also a story about like minors safety that's what this looks <laughs> like. It's 93, and this, everything is covered in soot. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. So,
1: they find... It doesn't look like he throws anything away.
0: No. They find everything in that, uh, the search warrant is for 24 hours, so they spend all 24 hours just collecting things. They find everything, cans, pipes, batteries, wires, chemicals, all the things you need to make a bomb... Um, They also find a live bomb under his bed, which had been ready to be shipped. They had to call someone in to defuse it. Defuse. Yep. They also found extensive writings, that included a journal that was just written normally about like his everyday experiences living out there and like his experiences. I have a lot of
1: logistical questions. We'll get there. Okay.
0: We'll
1: get there. Like Um, an incredible amount of logistical (laughs)
0: questions. (laughs) Um, He also had a coded journal, which looks crazy if you ever see it it mm. is just a grid paper okay and every single little grid is a, is filled in with a number okay and he there's a code for it somewhere and they so they decoded it and that is how he wrote his like descriptions of the crimes and like his thought process behind making the bombs and who he was targeting and his thought process about the effects of the bombs and if he was happy or disappointed with what happened Um, I mean, not
1: to coach him on this at all, but definitely sounds like something like a Microsoft Excel could really help with. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) A little little technology help there. No,
0: God forbid. God forbid. (laughs) Um, So they do end up decoding that, and that's how they get him, because that's really, he literally confessed to all of the bombs. And just to give you an idea, Ted, out of all of the tips that they had received, Ted was suspect number 2,416.
1: He was very low priority. Who was number one? (laughs) I know! (laughs) So... They got through 2,113 people before they got to him?
0: 2,415 people. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. So, a little backstory on Ted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because this is...
1: Fascinating where did me. it go right and then yet also so wrong
0: so ted was incredibly smart he just to give you an idea of one of the things he did that really was to me was crazy he so he was traveling a lot at the beginning to hand deliver some of these bombs right and like ship them from different places and at one point he was at a train station and he went to the bathroom and collected pubic hair from the bathroom train station because he knew the fbi would be thinking that he would mess up. And so he planted those in one of the bombs. And I don't know if they ever like came across it or anything, because they did mention that there was a lot of misleading clues that he had intentionally left
1: them. Well, they're like, there was a lot of hair in one of the bombs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So almost every clue that he gave the FBI was an intentional misdirection. If it had not been for David Kaczynski, they would not have found this guy. Okay one of the big things the FBI was trying to do where they were trying to connect people that had relationships to all of the locations that were being targeted. Okay. So Chicago, Illinois with Northwestern and University of Illinois, Chicago, and then UC Berkeley, University of Michigan, and Salt Lake City, uh, University of Utah and BYU.
1: So the (laughs) Pac-12. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So he was born and raised just outside of Chicago, Illinois. In 1958, he graduated high school two years early, and then he went to Harvard on a scholarship at oh, the wow. age of 16. Okay. Yep.
1: In never ni- target his alma mater. Okay.
0: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> 1962, after graduating Harvard, he goes to University of Michigan okay. to get a PhD in theoretical mathematics. His friends at the time notice that he was shy, and then towards the end of his time at Harvard, he really, really became withdrawn. He wasn't just shy, he was, like, intentionally avoiding talking to people. Um, And Ted would later say that he has been against technology since his last year at Harvard, 1962.
1: What happened? Like, stuck in an elevator? Like, what happened?
0: I think he just did a lot of research, I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think he saw someone the rest of us haven't seen yet.
0: Okay, Maya, calm down.
1: (laughs) The algorithm knows all.
0: (laughs) Okay, 1966, uh, after graduating University of Michigan with his Ph.D., he begins teaching as an assistant professor at the University of California, Berkeley. Okay. So that connects those, those guys. Sure. There's a quote from him. Mathematics was just a game, and I wasn't satisfied playing just a game. So. Oh. 1969, Ted resigns from his post at Berkeley. The university, like, reached out to him, asking him to stay because he was brilliant. Sure. And he in his journal was writing that he was laughing about it because he said he only wanted the job so he could save up some money to buy some land and live in the wild.
1: God, no. that's like a lot of our friends. <laughs> it's actually like a really concerning. Who a good friend moving to the Maine Wilderness. I don't. I think technically they're moving to Boston and they're gonna be in the Maine Wilderness on the weekends, but.
0: That's still a lot.
1: <laughs> a lot of <laughs> people like right know are partner. like, all I want to do is never see anyone ever again.
0: And that's what he did. <sighs> okay, so, so
1: he leaves in 69.
0: In 69. So there is a, a bit of a gap. So yeah. 1971, David and Ted buy a 1.4 acre plot of land in Lincoln, Montana. Okay. In June of 1978, this is after the very first bomb, Ted moves back to Chicago and he needs some money. So he's working at the factory that his brother works at. And his brother is actually a supervisor in this situation. In July of 1978, a woman at the factory goes on several dates with Ted. And after a few dates, she says she's not romantically interested in him. Sure. And, like, asks to be friends. Which, obviously, he's, like, not super thrilled about. <laughs> August of 1978, Ted is fired by
1: David <laughs> for posting. <laughs> Do you want to say it or should I? No, you say You, David.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad we were on the same page. Okay. Um... He's fired by David for posting lewd notes and limericks about the woman that he had gone on dates with that had turned him down. After repeatedly being told to stop by David.
1: <laughs> and I... I- yeah like every creep out there has a brother who's like i'm so sorry
0: (laughs) (laughs) he's a nice guy like once you get to know him,
1: listen like mom and dad like aren't really involved anymore and it's like kind of just like me and his life and but here's the thing too i mean obviously not to make light of like what an obviously like delusional predator he was you've talked to Like, the people that live in this beautiful city, Mm -hmm. but who spend all of their time outside, like, either, like, rock climbing or hiking or skiing. Mm -hmm. Not the world's best conversationalists.
0: (laughs) No. And it's said that Ted has never been super social. Mm. Um, David recollects um, at one point in the documentary that... He remembers when he was very young, he asked his mom what was wrong with David or what was wrong with Ted. And his mom was like, nothing. And he was like, he has no friends. And mom told David about Ted after this. Originally, he was a happy baby, but he got sick and was in the hospital for a week. And after this, he had completely shut down. And for some reason, the hospital didn't really allow parents in there. So they don't actually know what happened to him in oh. the hospital. And so the mom, for whatever reason, thinks that this is what caused him to become the way that he was. Um, he, like, didn't make eye contact, as even as a baby, after this situation. And it took several weeks for him to gain enough trust with his parents to even make eye contact.
1: Do we know how old he was when... Baby, baby. Baby, baby? Yeah. Interesting. Okay.
0: Like a year. I just
1: know that, like... I think like some signs of like specific types of autism start mm-hmm. to emerge like two years into a child's yeah. life, and that involves things like not engaging with like parents' yeah. faces and things like that. Was this just dude just like on the spectrum, and then had a terrible time of it? Doesn't justify the death. No, of it the doesn't. Bombings, but that would make a lot also, of sense. Yeah.
0: I don't know how old he was. The pictures that they were showing in relation to the story was of him as like a. Very young toddlers, Mm. so I would assume between one and two. so he's a baby baby. He's a baby baby. And then they also interview a bunch of psychologists and um, people who study mental disorders, and they say that kids who don't develop a relationship with their mother, primarily boys who don't develop a relationship with their mother, tend to develop psychopathic tendencies as a defense mechanism. Oh. And so the mom of David and Ted worries that he felt abandoned as a baby for whatever reason. Anyway, so that's the start of that and now i need to go back
1: and now we're gonna start our show (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so he obviously gets fired at the factory in chicago yes what happens he
0: doesn't have good relationships with friends and he also is not known to have a lot of good relationships with women and he is considered to be straight um by everyone who knew him and by him himself his brother has very distinct memories of ted during the short time that he was dating this woman and he was very excited and very happy mm. and like was like raving and like blushing about how she had kissed him and stuff like that. And it was,
1: <sighs> I know it was very cute, but Bridgerton, I'm kidding <laughs>
0: <laughs> in May of 1982. So this is after the Salt Lake city bomb is defused. So this is early in his career as the Unabomber. Okay. Um, Ted has moved back to Montana and then he files Papers to remove David as a co owner of the plot of land that they bought together in Interesting. Montana. Okay. Ted then builds a 10 foot by 12 foot cabin. It's
1: a shed. It looks it's a lot like a shed, teeny tiny. I will tell you this, that's not where I want to be in a Montana winter. No. No, it's very thin. Small Um, enough to be transported to a museum. (laughs) Like the whole thing. Just put it out there. (laughs) They kept Lincoln's childhood cabin exactly where it was. Okay, that is not the exact cabin we're talking about. Yep, yep, yep.
0: He has, like, two neighbors. Like, this is a very rural town, and they're not very close to each other, but there's two people that remember him when he was there. And they have very distinct memories of Ted showing a lot of aggression towards anyone and everyone who would ruin the nature around him. So, like, loud noises, like deforestation, that Mm. sort of vibe. He vandalized a nearby cabin where some people lived who would ride motorcycles around on a road that was technically closed.
1: He's so right, but then he's wrong.
0: (laughs) The funny thing about the vandalization, what's not funny is he, like, didn't go through a window or a door he took an axe and cut a hole in the wall (laughs) to get in smashed everything up pooped in the tub
1: That's such hater energy. I love that so
0: much. It's like really violent and then really petty. Oh yeah. And that's how I feel like this whole he was violent.
1: I, I know you mean violent is the like cutting his yeah, own yeah. door, but that feels a lot more like the petty <laughs> that's part. Bad. That's because bad. any door he broke they could replace. <laughs> but they had to patch up a wall. That's so insane. That's a man who has the time. <laughs>
0: genuinely does um so he also sanded a, a sawmill that belonged to his neighbors um in order to put them out of business because if you like sand it it breaks it to a point where right. they have to spend a ton of Literally money and sand time in the gears. Yeah, to to repair it so he would do that repeatedly until they like
1: <laughs> stopped using the sawmill it.
0: yeah um.
1: <laughs> that doesn't get the bomb that's fascinating to me oh the things that do and do not get bombs in this man's world Okay. Yes,
0: so neighbors would attest to a strange behavior and he had peeping Tom tendencies. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, he would like never really come out, but when he would, he looked very dirty and disheveled, mm. unlike our friend the North Pond Hermit, who <laughs> kept up appearances oh, yeah, for no was, reason. <laughs> he
1: was using everyone's shower.
0: It's true. <laughs> so at one point he had looked in on someone while they were naked, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not. Um, mm. It was like his neighbor's girlfriend at the time. But the real reason he came over to that house was to ask what day in, of the week it was.
1: <laughs> That's how we started this podcast, Maya. I don't know what day it was. I have no intention of blowing up anything. Yeah. Except your phone this hey. summer. I'm kidding. It was, uh,
0: if it's type. dry right now. It's <laughs>
1: fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to go do a solo hike in Utah for two days. I don't know if I told you that or not. That it's fine. It's uh, <laughs> fine. In the throes of <laughs> mental, mental health illnesses. crisis. i just never <laughs> been to Canyonlands, so. Yeah,
0: well, that sounds fun. Yeah. I hope, yeah. Send pictures.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he was be- noted as being dirty and ungroomed, would not emerge from his land for a long time, would come and ask what day and year it was, and would otherwise intentionally...
1: What day and year? Yes. So this man didn't intentionally take 6 years off. He just got really into other projects. And yes. I was like, "What? Oh, right. Oh, they're going to forget about me if I <laughs> blow oh, something it's been up." 6 soon.
0: years. Oh my god. Time flies.
1: <laughs> Time flies when you're cutting into your neighbor's cabins and then staring at their girlfriends.
0: <laughs> okay, so he The reason that the FBI couldn't identify him early on, and I mentioned this, that all of the things that he was using were very random. Right. So apparently in this area, it's not uncommon for people to have their own kind of junkyards. Yeah, with of Like course. power tools and right. broken cars and stuff. And so he was stealing parts from everyone else's right. kind of junkyards. And at one point, one of the daughters was interviewed in the documentary, and she says she remembers waking up in the middle of the night hearing rummaging outside. Ooh,
1: I hate that. Yeah, and
0: she went over to her mom and dad and they both were like, oh, you're dreaming. It's You're fine. And then later realized that it was the Unabomber. Man was looking
1: for bomb supplies. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no one ever noticed because it's their, like, junkyard. And then, and then the other neighbor um, reported that a UPS driver was coming by to make a delivery. And the UPS driver told him later that he saw someone in his, like, shed using the drill press while he was out.
1: Oh. And so
0: he was using other people's power tools too. <laughs> which is dedication
1: yeah because you got to get some like practice on those machines before you can really turn and you turn also it a like product. have to
0: know when people are not going to be there which is crazy to me
1: sounds like he had a lot of time to observe on his hands yes okay
0: yeah in reading his journals and coded entries investigators discovered that he had severe depression oh. and psychopathic tendencies Throwing things
1: up didn't it make him happy wow
0: <laughs> crazy <laughs> So, unfortunately, he had reached out for help on multiple occasions and didn't ever really receive the help that he needed, but he was also kind of unwilling to admit that he needed help, so it was hard for him to, like, make that connection.
1: I have too many similarities with the (laughs) uniform.
0: And he's very critical of the FBI and calls them incompetent all the time.
1: I mean, again, maybe more right than wrong on that one. Yeah,
0: like... (laughs) man i i can't disagree i
1: certainly think they are trying their best exactly sometimes
0: sometimes yeah Uh, this case caused them to like revamp how they look at terrorist cases i didn't really do a ton of digging into like how they changed their investigation tactics but it did cause them to make some significant change because um the media was pissed at them he had a lot of trouble socializing and especially trouble socializing with the opposite sex which led him to feelings of violence and so in cases of serial killers who Mm -hmm. also have psychopathic tendencies that will result into violence towards the opposite sex or like whoever they're sexually interested in however ted had an iq i cannot remember what it was i think it was 187. oh wow he was he was a genius like by all standards and so i think he was able to think through enough of his trauma that he wanted to take out his violent tendencies on psychologists.
1: So he did his work and he was like, others must suffer. Yeah, okay. exactly, basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he had said some derogatory things about women he had come across in his journal. Um, he just couldn't make any relationships with them. He had some feelings of wanting to have a sex change to be a woman. Oh. But people like the psychologists and behavioral specialists that have looked at his case and talked to him um, have said that he wasn't experiencing gender dysphoria. He was just like so unable to make connections with the opposite Mm. sex that he thought the only way to, like, make that connection was to have a sex change.
1: So desperate to make a connection with women that he was willing to become a a woman woman, Mm -hmm. if that was Mm -hmm. make it easier.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Interesting.
0: And he had tried to reach out. I think he wrote a letter to some therapist while he was in his cabin in Montana, I think, in between some of the uh, bombings. But he also, while he was at Michigan State, had reached out to a psychiatrist and, like, actually gone in for the appointment, but he was found himself unable to talk about his problems. And after that, started writing in his journal about how he was having feelings of violence towards the psychiatrist or a psychologist. And he said, later that leaving that appointment would be a turning point for him because that's when he decided, quote, I will kill, but I will try to avoid detection so that I can kill again.
1: Jesus, that is not the lesson to take from therapy.
0: No, exact. Well, that's the thing. He never went to therapy. So these thoughts were not shared with anyone outside of his journal. So it made it very difficult for people to be able to sus- suspect him as a violent sure. individual because not even his family, his closer friends, his brother knew anything about this because he was so tight lipped. So this is his quote about his time at Michigan. He said, During my years at Michigan, I occasionally ended up having dreams. Some psychologist would either be trying to convince me that I was sick or would be trying to control my mind. I would grow angrier, and finally I would break out in physical violence. At the moment when I killed the psychologist, I experienced a great feeling of relief and liberation. And so he kind of took this and combined it with his general feeling of, like, hatred about destroying the planet and industrial revolution right. and that kind of stuff. and its
1: consequences. Exactly.
0: exactly. about Because he had read somewhere that, like, they're trying to be able to download the mind and, right. like, do all of that kind of stuff. And that was something that he really did not believe with on a moral level. And so I think he combined that with his feelings of hatred towards members of the like, scientific community. One of his quotes, I think that perhaps I could now kill someone. I emphasize that my motivation is personal revenge. My ambition is to kill a scientist, big businessman, government official, or the like.
1: Well, check and check and check, all three of those.
0: He at least hurt them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, he was very frustrated. In his journal, he was writing things like, frustrating I can't seem to make a lethal bomb, The FBI is incredibly incompetent.
1: (laughs) But yet, I can't make a lethal bomb. I can't
0: make a lethal
1: bomb.
0: Oh, after the Ice Brothers incident, which was before he had committed murder, um, but one of the first serious injuries, he said, I feel better. I'm still plenty angry, but now I'm able to strike back.
1: Mm. So... The title of the episode is The Industrial Revolution and Its Consequences. Yes. But the content of the episode is we haven't fixed any of these issues and they've been around forever. So like a lack of mental health support, an environment that doesn't allow men to like talk openly about their like sadness or their Mm -hmm. like want of intimacy, like a cultural view that like violence justifies things. Yeah.
0: Here's one of his quotes from the second bomb. So another one of the minor cuts and burns. He said, I had hoped the victim would be blinded or have his hands blown off or be otherwise maimed. Well, live and learn. I wish I could get a hold of some dynamite.
1: Wow. So he just really, at times, finds an incredible balance in himself. Yeah. As he commits these random acts of like. He, and
0: the hard thing, too, is that he recognizes it in himself. Yeah. Too, because he's like, this is weird for me to be thinking this, but like. It's causing me to feel some relief.
1: It's like his brilliant mind that like made him really like able to like see what, what was it theoretical math was mm-hmm. his PhD in. Yeah. Um, was such an asset there, and obviously yeah. it's not like one with the other, right? Yeah, like yeah. this is how it turned out, but it's like his brain worked differently, and his brain worked differently.
0: And it's also really good that he wasn't smart in chemistry, right? Because this would have all gotten very serious very quick. And
1: also maybe a little bit, thank goodness he was a hermit and not a person more dialed into society, if he's like kind of losing track of time up there. Yeah. Because it also exactly. means he's probably like slipping into bouts of like psychosis and mania, mm-hmm. or like he completely loses track of yeah. some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? This is I mean I, I got so. Yeah. Go I learned ahead. so
0: much. I didn't know like I knew about the Unabomber and I knew that he was a hermit.
1: I knew it's not Yuna <laughs> bomber anymore. Yuna bomber. Um and like not that the guy was right by any means, but that it wasn't necessarily just completely random violence. Yeah. I mean it was, but with the, as much context as you can have around random yeah. violence. And he
0: took it out on not women, which is unusual for a serial criminal right. that has psychotic tendencies.
1: And is mad at women. Yeah, but yeah. he,
0: he, I feel like he recognized that violence was not directed at women. It was directed at something wrong in his head. Mm. And he was taking it out on scientists. Yeah. But was also like, not just taking it out on like random scientists, like taking it out on like that executive that helped ExxonMobil right. and like that kind of stuff, which is crazy to me that like, cause if I were in a state of psych- psychopathy, I would don't think I would have that.
1: So do they execute him? Does he live forever I in think, prison? What, what's the, what's so the final chapter? So here's the thing. Chapter?
0: If I remember correctly, he got jail or prison without the possibility of parole. Sure. And so I think he's just chilling in prison.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: I, from what I have read, I think he's like I, actually don't
1: know it is. I mean, but like, like for a person who yeah. liked his privacy and nature mm-hmm. to be completely deprived of either of those Sucks. is, yeah, and like maybe a very specific punishment. But maybe he's
0: also getting the help that he finds, like he's because he's now he's probably forced to get sure. kind of that mental the health. The prison
1: system is famous for helping people with mental That's health true. issues. That's true. You're right. Yeah, you're right. They're really good at that. <laughs> Well, Super great. And now I feel like I can't do Titanic, which is what, what the plan had been. So I'll you have can to come up with
0: absolutely do the Titanic. I Am will love I that.
1: the asshole for wanting to do the Titanic? That's going to be episode Vote nine. on your phones. now <laughs> <laughs> Vote on your phones. uh Donate to the Patreon account. Yes,
0: we're going to set up a Patreon account. It'll it may or may not be up by the time this episode comes out. It'll be it's the account is set up. It's Well I Laughed Podcast. Um, if you have a theme recommendation, yes. please email us. We're welliloughedpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, well I laughed.
1: And very soon, TikTok. we will be unveiling the TikTok because we have some fun video too.
0: We do have some fun videos. So we laughed at the beginning.
1: I, I think I kind of laughed throughout, but like yeah. maybe more as a coping mechanism.
0: <laughs> I laughed a lot during the time where he was sending letters to... Yes. <laughs>
1: The funniest part about all of this was that there's now a new way to get my book published.
0: <laughs> Just vague threats. <laughs> yep.
1: I can't ever throw away Griffin's desk. Nope. <laughs> Side table.
0: Griffin, you did a good job with that. If you're desk. listening
1: to this, I knew you didn't work as hard as me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, well, good. That was a good chuckle to end. Well, I yep. laughed. Maya, did you laugh? I laughed too. Amazing. Okay, Thanks, y'all. Bye. <laughs>
0: Since recording this episode, the Unabomber recently passed, and so um, I thought I would read the opening paragraph from the New York Times that announced his death. This was published by the New York Times, as I said, on June 10th, 2023. And the first paragraph reads as follows. Theodore J. Kaczynski, the so-called Unabomber, who attacked academics, businessmen, and random civilians with homemade bombs from 1978 to 1995, killing three people and injuring 23 with the stated goal of fomenting the collapse of the modern social order, a violent spree that ended after what was often described as the longest and most costly manhunt in American history, died on Saturday in a federal prison medical center in Bootner, Butner? butner north carolina he was 81 so just to update the story um since we recorded um and before this is published the unabomber just has passed just so you all know okay thanks bye